When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me, ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Judd Zolgad and Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN. And we have a special guest today. Uh, joined by Blake Barretts, who has been on our show, I think, maybe once or twice before. He is the president of the Institute for Athletes Agency in Minneapolis that represents more than 40 NFL players, uh, including a couple of current Vikings receivers. And it's one of those two receivers that we are uh, planning to talk with Blake for a little while today. Uh, Adam Thielen, of course, is one of those guys, uh, a guy that, that a lot of people know around here, a guy that, that has had a pretty... A remarkable story in the NFL and, and really kind of put it on another level last year with the year that he had. So, Blake, so much thanks so much for uh, for joining us and uh, happy to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's always a pleasure. Anytime. You guys only call when my clients are doing well. It's, <laughs> I don't get called when they're doing poorly, but it's okay. Anytime. Well, we if, if, <laughs> if uh, you want to come on and, and have us criticize you guys, we can do that too. <laughs> that'd be, but, that's, uh, that'd be great. We figured this would work a little bit better. We're looking for more criticism. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, I, with, with Adam in the year that he had, I guess, how many guys in your time as an agent have you seen that have a story like his? I mean, it, you know, you see guys that, that make it as undrafted free agents, but from the, the level that he did where it was so remote to – having the year that he had now where he's going to be a restricted free agent and is kind of making a name for himself in the NFL. What what sets him apart, do you think? Well, I guess the, to answer the first part of your question, I, I see it a lot. I think we've experienced it a lot. Um, I think it's a little greater depth just because of the college he played at. Sure. And it, it all happened in Minnesota. Um, so that, that makes it a little more unique. Right. We've had plenty of guys, I mean – 
Jonathan Casillas was undrafted. He was captain of the Giants defense this year. Kurt Coleman was a seventh-round pick, and he led the league in interceptions last year. Granted, he played at Ohio State, and Casillas right. was at Wisconsin. So I think that adds to it a little bit. But um, but it happens. And I, I think what separates all of those guys, not just Adam, is they they work their tail off. They understand, they're pros, pros. They continue to get better. And um, it's in my opinion, it's not as if I, you know, there's – Everyone else in Minnesota is probably shocked by what Adam did this year. I was never surprised. If anything, the surprise came from him actually genuinely getting the opportunity. Yeah. Because there was no doubt if Adam got this opportunity a year ago, I think he would have done it. If he got the opportunity two years ago, I think he would have taken advantage yeah. of it. That doesn't mean he's he's still continuing to get better, uh, but he's a pro's pro. Like He understands it. He's smart. He can line up everywhere. Uh, if, you're pay, if you're paying attention to the nuances of the game – a lot of guys can't line up everywhere. A lot yeah. of guys are asking Adam where to line up or asking where the <laughs> middle linebacker should, where they should line up. And that comes from just being a pro and reliable. And when he was asked to run down on special teams and be the first one down and make a tackle, he embraced it. And some guys don't embrace it. Yeah. And that's to me, that's the difference. The league, the league to me, and I could be wrong, this is just my opinion, has never really been about uh, the ability. It's always been about the opportunity. Yeah. And every once in a while you have those freak guys, the Randy Mosses, the Adrian Petersons. But to me, if you looked at the draft coming up in a couple months, like the guy that gets drafted ninth and the guy that gets drafted 116th, there isn't that much difference in ability. So you take the intangibles, what no one, no one seems to put a value on, or if they do, there's some, you know, some hidden value that I've never seen of how hard do they work and how mature are they and how how much of a professional are they and are, what are they going to do with their money and who surrounds them and all these different decisions. You can put a value on a 40 or a bench or all these things, but the things to me that are the most important, there's no analytical attachment to those things. Yeah. So um, so I don't know. You know, I guess, I'm not totally surprised. Sure, sure. <laughs> if, if my long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> well, how do you help him, I guess, handle phase two now? Because there's – Make a roster, get on a team for somebody who's undrafted. Fight like crazy to get any sort of opportunity. Then he does, and then it's perform, and then he did exceptionally well. Pro Football Focus had him in the top 20, 69 catches this year, had really good numbers, and uh, had some highlight real plays too, the big catch yeah. against the Packers. Yeah. The Houston game was really his breakout game. And I saw also Pro Football Focus ranked him as one of the best in the double move they ranked everybody who's the best uh, at the comeback routes, every different sort of route, and he was their guy listed for the double move. So he makes a name for himself, mm -hmm. he proves he can perform and that he's a player. So now what's next? Because uh, some guys, those first-round picks, they expect to get all that opportunity, and whether they do it or not, who knows, but they usually expect, I'm going to be a star at some point, that's in their mind. For him, how do you handle now expectations that are put on you and also the pressure of being a top two receiver well i think it's actually a lot easier than it was prior i think when it's prior like like when a guy's in a position of say isaac frickty who hasn't gotten there yet it's stay the course you can play at this level don't be happy getting in the huddle just being in the huddle you know you can play you can do the same things adam did and here's how we're going to go about accomplishing it now that adam's here um, I don't think there's a lot of change, really. Like, he expects to be there. He's confident. Like, he thinks he's one of the better wide receivers in the NFL. Um, and now it's just – it's getting him to understand is, like, all of those things you're doing and saying are right. All you did was validate it once you got your opportunity. So there isn't – there isn't – outside of, of scoping through all the different opportunities that are coming his way off the field, which have nothing to do with football – 
getting him to understand what the marketplace is like for someone like him and explaining to them how this next process is going to work um, is really all we have to do. In terms of how he's preparing and what his expectations are, he's going to go out and play good football in 2017 wherever he plays. That's just his attitude. Mm-hmm. Hey, Blake, what, what does it say about th- this league, too, um, as far as how, how much it, it it goes to great lengths? you got combine, senior bowl, testing, psychological testing, physical testing. What does it say about how much they miss, though? Because it seems to me that with the millions of dollars, right, spent on all of these processes and all of these people employed, that we end up talking about a lot of kids who who make it, who fall through, through the cracks. If you were to take a step back and if a GM was to come to you and say, okay, from a guy who's out there trying to find these kids, what would you tell them? Because it does seem to me personally that the more I watch these processes go about, that there is an incredible amount of misses. Yeah. And I don't know that there's an incredible amount of work done to say, okay, let's slow the process. Let's stop the whole thing right now. What can we do to improve that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. There's a whole lot of misses. I think, uh, again, this is my opinion. I think a lot of these teams are unprepared for this process. And I think there's no new innovation or new blood in the NFL. So everyone is just scouting the exact same way. It's this is how everyone's always done it. So you come from Bill Parcells tree or Bill Walsh's tree or whoever's tree. And so everyone's going to evaluate the exact same way. And if you get fired, if Rex Ryan gets fired by the Bills, well, guess what? He's going to show up at the Senior Bowl and get rehired by this person. Brad Childress gets fired by the Vikings, he gets hired by Cleveland. Gets fired by Cleveland, he gets hired by Kansas City. It doesn't matter. It's the exact same people coaching and evaluating the exact same way. So, you know... How, I mean, how do you expect anything to change? Is kind of why do you have kickers running the forty? Why are we all? Why do four hundred four hundred NFL personnel crammed into a room this size to watch a kicker weigh in? Agree completely. It's twenty seventeen. You can send them a clip of exactly how they look, exactly what they weigh in, but there's no new energy. There's no new blood. There's no new. Um, you know, whether you agree with how Chip Kelly did things or disagree, or you agree or disagree with how Cleveland's doing things, at least it's something different. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to work. Obviously, Chip didn't. And I don't know if Cleveland's analytic approach, like baseball, will work, but at least it's something new. Um, and I think that's a big, a big factor into why there are so many misses. And at the end of the day, they have the Senior Bowl and the Combine and the Pro Days and these visits, and they're cramming for a test, which is the draft in April, uh, they're, not, that they're not really prepared for. They're just not. I'm going to get to know my rookies a thousand times better than any GM that's going to draft them. So if you could change one thing, if what's the biggest flaw? What, what would be the one if, – if I came to you as a GM right now and said, what's the biggest mistake that I'm making and that the rest of the league makes over and over and over again in this process, what would you change? Um, well, I think there's not a deep enough um, analysis as to what the person is like how intelligent they are, how high character they are, the people they surround them with, how they treat people in public, how quickly they can pick up information. They're just checking off he's a good character kid, hasn't had any trouble. To me, that's not a deep enough dive. And to me, that separates um, the difference. There's no reason, in my opinion, Laquan Treadwell can't get on the field in year one or someone else can't get on the field. It has to do with something else besides just the physical talent. So... To me, teams aren't diving enough into those areas, and maybe they don't have the time to. Maybe maybe the people that know them the best, the scouts, if they know them the best, by the time it gets up the game of telephone to the general manager, maybe they know the player, maybe they don't know the player, maybe they're just trying to go with the safe pick. Maybe it's just a it's – a, it's an imperfect science, I would say. 
I don't know what the solution is. Um, if I was a GM, I would be putting a whole lot more time into evaluating those intangibles. You know, they all have big egos too. Coaches have egos. GMs have egos. So they say, give me the prototypical size and speed, and I'll be the one that changes Deion Jordan. I'll be the one that changes Greg Hardy. I'll be the one that changes Johnny Manziel. I'll be the one that changes Justin Gilbert. I'll be the one that changes Josh Gordon. Randy Gregory, whoever it yeah. is. I, to me, I just would never do that because I don't think there's that big of a difference in Randy Gregory versus the next defensive end. And why am I going to go with a guy that had problems over and over and over and over again and then give him 6 or 8 or $10 million in the city of Dallas and expect everything to change? <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a realistic. And maybe you're saying, eh, it's a second-round pick. We'll give him eight hundred grand a year. It doesn't matter. We can miss on him. But Still getting a lot of trouble with eight hundred grand. Well, right, and, and they may say if Randy Gregory doesn't pan out, it's worth our eight hundred grand risk, sure. and maybe he turns into Alden Smith, who re- has problems also, but was really good at a, one point of his career. My approach would be: I can get a really solid player in that second round. I can get Dak Prescott in that second round. Yeah. I can get a lot of solid yeah. guys, or that you know, to me, there isn't that huge difference of ability again. I think there's also like a certain pressure that comes from just groupthink in general. Like uh, I remember when Dallas drafted Travis Frederick. And there were, I don't know, 50 articles that came out. What was Dallas thinking? Mel Kuyper rated him 96th, and they picked him in the first round. And everyone's so baffled by this pick. Well, they knew something that everybody else didn't know because he's turned out to be, like, the best center in the NFL. Right. And the same thing sort of goes for Seattle drafting Russell Wilson, where every other GM said, eh, he's too short, He's not gonna. He's, nobody's got him rated in the first round. So we're not going to be the ones who take that criticism, take that bullet, because we we know it's going to come because if everybody else thinks he's too short, then we must think he's too short too. I, I heard that yeah. from another GM who said that about why they didn't draft Russell Wilson. Yep. It's like, I think your logic's a little off there. If the only reason that you didn't draft him was because he was too short and because everyone else thought that too. Right. That's, I mean, Seattle is a team that is kind of, they do it their own way mm-hmm. and the head coach and the GM are on the same page and they can afford to do it their own way and they're winning. So they can really afford to do it their own way. So don't have the pressure of getting fired every year. Right. I sat down at the Senior Bowl with just about every GM, and there were GMs that I hadn't heard, had never heard of some of the players in my draft class that I would bet you right now are not only going to probably be drafted, but be very good NFL players. Mm-hmm. That I would bet that today. Guys like a Kirk Coleman. How can you, in end of January, not have heard of them? You could at least say, I haven't watched film on them. But to not have heard of them, <laughs> there's are major Big Five conference yeah. players that are starters. Like... If you haven't heard of them in January 27th, then 90 days later, expect to be in tune with not only them, but 2,000 other players, and then also expect to make the best evaluation possible. I don't buy into that. That is even physically possible. I mean, when, when you hear things like that, though, I mean, it, it, I guess, gives you a better idea of why Adam fell through the cracks the way he did. I mean, I mean you hear stories from... The Vikings, I mean, it wasn't even the fact that he didn't get drafted. I mean, he was a rookie camp tryout guy, yeah. and, and it, it was kind of one of those, like, well, you know, this kid's local, we'll give him a chance. But, I mean, they gave him the smallest possible crumb that they could have, as you know. Right. But, but that process that you're talking about, if you're not able to dive deep enough on Power 5 conference guys, somebody like him certainly is going to fall Exactly. The it's hard to blame anyone for missing on Adam Thielen. Like, there's so many guys, and you got to make a decision. Do I want to give the guy that maybe didn't play as much at Ohio State or has the the length and the speed and everything I'm looking for, or do we give the shot to the Division three guy sure. who most teams are going to say is a dime a dozen? Right. 
and I, I get it. It's, it's hard for me to believe that guys that are playing on a national stage every weekend are getting passed over. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, it's – and again, that's where the intangibles come into play. I mean, you, you draft receivers in the first, second, or third round that um, may not have been great teammates, may not have worked at their craft, may not have studied film. And then you expect everyone to come in and all of a sudden be a superstar. Yeah. It's the, – the, the model doesn't make a ton of sense yeah. to me. Yeah. So, Blake, I think um, if I was to – if I was to examine the process and start to redo it, I think I would start with the combine. I, I think the combine was a very productive idea at one time. But I think it's almost become a dangerous crutch. Uh, and part of, part of this goes to what you brought up, which is egos of GMs and coaches. They think if I sit down with a kid for X amount of time and we talk to him, we're going to know that kid inside out, right. which I think is a huge mistake. I think the combine leads you down a really, really d- dangerous path because the combine has nothing to do with football now. It's, you know, the 40-yard yep. dash. Oh, my gosh. And, and the psychological testing is done in such a short spurt of time that I think teams dangerously leave the room saying, we know that kid. And you don't. I really think if I was this league, I would sit down and say the entire process of the combine needs to be examined and potentially redone. But the way that it's become now is a dangerous crutch that fools teams. I agree with you. I agree with you. And a lot of these college programs, they're only going to be half truthful with the NFL teams because they want as many guys in their programs to get drafted as high as possible because that helps them recruit the following year. We have guys from just about every – we have a kid from A&M. We have a kid from Kansas. We have a kid from Michigan State. We have a kid from Alabama. We have a kid from Auburn, uh, Virginia Tech. I have now spoken to all of them about their teammates. So I know which guys – and these guys are the captains of their team, the most respected guys in the locker room. I know which guys that they were teammates with in college that don't work hard, that were skipping class, that pissed off the coaches every weekend. And the NFL teams don't even know this yet. And I don't know where they're going to get it because they're not – the GMs, they should be talking to me not only just about the players that I signed, but the players I didn't sign. I got to know them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, probably I'm biased to talk well about Jonathan Allen and the rest of our rookie class. Right. Even though I think I'm a pretty straight shooter with these teams, I at least have financial incentive to talk about how great they are. Sure. But all the guys that I didn't get, I can still tell you what they're about. Hey, he was a great kid. We just didn't get him. You know, this kid I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole knowing what I know now. I don't think they're even coming up with creative strategies to actually get the valuable information. They're just going, talking to their buddies that worked in the college program, which, again, it's the same recycled people. You get fired by Alabama. You get hired by Florida Atlantic. You get fired by the Chiefs. You get hired by another college. It's the same people. So you're not getting – there's no new innovative ideas. To get information, to evaluate information, it's this is how we've always done it. This is how we're going to do it. That's, just, that's the answer I always get. What do you think of uh, the rule that the NFL has put in about players and their conduct and not inviting them to the combine? Because I saw today that Chad Kelly and Joe Mixon both were not invited to the combine. And I mean, to me, I'm not a big fan of that because I think that that's a way that the NFL can kind of look like it's doing something about players who are accused of this thing or that thing and look like it cares about certain conduct. But it really won't make that big of a difference. Uh, everybody already knows Mixon's story, and they can get him to run his own 40 uh, at his university or whatever right. else. But I'm curious about uh, what you think of that. 
Um, well, one, I didn't see that. Did, did the NFL come out and say they were not invited because of their conduct, or they were they maybe borderline I, I, anywhere? Was I, I it strictly so. because yeah, of I'm their conduct? I'm going to have to get the exact story, but I I believe that that's the reason. I know for Mixon, it definitely is. I think it is too with Chad Kelly. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one for me. I don't think the NFL should really have any ability to further punish, so to speak, um, a player from something that, that had nothing to do with their league or their business in the same boat. I also don't think that those players should take away from players um, that may be borderline or deserve to go but but did everything the right way. Mm-hmm. So I, at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything because if the players want to draft or look at Joe Mixon, they'll just go down to Oklahoma and work him out and – and uh, they'll interview them, and they'll do whatever homework they want. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a, uh, it's to your point. It's the NFL's way of, of showing they care, and something that is so meaningless anyway. It's not gonna, <laughs> not gonna make a difference. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely how I looked at it as well. It's an it's attempt to get a little PR out of it because right. everyone knows Mixon's name because it's been in the news, and it looks like they're laying down a hammer on him, but. When it comes to that, though, I don't know about guys that you've represented when it comes to character issues, because I have a joke that I've always used, which is always draft the weed guy, uh, because there are some really great players who it's just been weed has been the problem. And college kids smoking weed, breaking news, is not new. And a lot of times, these guys, if they draft, one Randy Moss people might have heard of, but you know, Janoris Jenkins too, Tyron Matthew, these guys all dropped down in the draft from where they would have gone basically because of weed. And uh, I'm curious, though, from from your standpoint, if you have a player that you know is a good guy but has had some issues in the past, how do you present that to the teams that you're talking with? Well, I mean, be perfectly honest, I haven't dealt with it a ton, but we also are going after a more high-character guy. That doesn't mean all of our guys – are saints and we haven't had issues, but I think the more honest I can be with the team, the better I got to work with these teams for hopefully 20, 25 years or whatever. So, um, to me, there's a difference between having a weed problem or smoking a little weed and doing something that, um, with malicious intent to somebody else, you know? So, um, if you've had if you've failed five drug tests in college and been kicked off the team, like that's a red flag. That means you're not smoking weed because you like weed. That means it's, taken over your life and it's impacting your decision-making ability mm-hmm. whether that's drinking or weed or painkillers or whatever your vice is uh, you can do it socially but when, when it's starting to affect your dollars and your pocket and your life then you got a problem um i think you know for every teron matthew there's there's probably five or six or eight or ten other examples of guys that couldn't handle it when they got to the league and mm-hmm. and either couldn't pick up the playbook or fade it out or you know, wasn't that they were extremely talented. Matthew went to a great situation. Bruce Arians is a great coach. He can conduct him. He had Patrick Peterson there. He's got Larry Fitzgerald there. He's got Calais Campbell there. I mean, they got leader after leader after leader after leader uh, to make sure he, he stayed straight. Deion Jordan couldn't get on the field in Miami. You know, so, you know, Johnny Manziel somehow got out of the league in two years or three years, which is extremely hard to do as a first-round pick. <laughs> How about Percy? Percy, same thing. I mean, that kid had a world of talent. Yeah. And he used it for a while, but yeah. But but I'll I'll say this for Percy. When you go to the combine and you fail the drug test, you're an idiot. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, there's no clear, you are going to be drug tested, right? Right. I mean, 
I always am amazed by these stories about so and so. How do you? How do you, just stop smoking weed long enough to pass the combine drug test? That <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be me. an immediate draw off my board. I don't care if you're the number one pick in the draft. Like that just to me, it's just not even a. It's not even negotiable. That means that's so disrespectful. You don't care about anything. Like you can't. That to me is a non-starter. You can't draft a kid that fails a drug test at the combine. Yeah, and at Period. that point, it's almost more about stupidity than it is about whether or not you have a. A problem with it, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you just don't care about anything. Yeah, you know it's coming, and you you just said, "Ah, fine, I'm going to deal with right. it. I'm going to do what I do, and it's going to be fine." Exactly. So, getting back to Adam here, as he gets into as as Matthew kind of talked about it, the next phase of things here, he's obviously a restricted free agent here in a couple of weeks. How does that, from your perspective, how how does that differ from a guy that's an unrestricted free agent in terms of leverage that you have or? or ways that you're trying to work out to put him in a, in a good position, whether it's Adam or any other restricted free agent you might have? Well, the difference is, the difference is you're, you're, you're predominantly able to work with one team. Sure. Versus if he hits the open market, he can deal with 32. And it depends on where they tender him. You know, if they tender him at the first-round level, it puts a little more money in his pocket. The Vikings are committed for a little more money. It makes it a little more difficult for him to fetch other offers because then a team's got to give up a first-round pick for yeah. Adam. Um. It changes things a little bit. I mean, um, when you have an unrestricted free agent, like we have William Golston or Alan Branch in New England, um, you, when the season's over and the risk of injury is completely removed, then the team really has to come with very close to a fair market or a fair market deal. Sure. Otherwise, what's the incentive to do a deal prior to – being able to bid your services to 31 other teams. Unless the player absolutely loves the city or loves the coach or wants to win. I'm just speaking financially from a compensation perspective. When they're restricted, um, you know, he doesn't have the same options as, say, an unrestricted free agent. So, I mean, the first part of the process is do they want the player back? And does the player want to be back? And... Uh, in this case, I think they do, and he yeah. does, and it makes way too much sense. <laughs> yeah. And they have the ability to do right by him, and he's done; he's far exceeded anyone's expectations. They don't have any money invested into their wide receivers, and we can figure out something to do that's right this week, next week, the following week, March, April, and every day that every day that gets closer to the end of next season without a deal in place, the pendulum just continues to swing Adam's way. So, you know, it's. I'm, I think I'm very fair. Adam's very realistic. And we want to do something that makes sense yeah. for the team and makes sense for Adam. Otherwise, someone's going to be unhappy. So when you go into that process with him here in the next few weeks, I mean, is, is the goal to try to get something done long-term-wise rather than – I mean, I'm sure it is, right? Rather than doing a restricted free agent tender? I mean, yes. The goal – yeah, always. I deal. mean, if you can do a long-term deal that gives him him and his family legitimate financial security yeah. and pays him where he should be paid, yeah, I mean, that's always the goal, I think. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you play under the tender. We don't know what the tender numbers are yet, yeah, because the cap numbers aren't out. But yep. if it's a second-round tender, maybe it's $2.8 million bucks, 2.85, 2.9. If it's the first-round tender, it's 3.5, 3.8. Yeah. Whatever the whatever the number, two, whatever the numbers come out to be. That's still a fraction of what he would get guaranteed if he was on the open market. Yeah. So doesn't mean it's not a lot of money. It's a lot of money in the real world, and it's more money than Adam's ever made in his career. But <laughs> yeah. everything's got to be put in perspective. It, like, how how key is, is this contract to 
Uh, just from a general perspective of the, the long-term situation and, and as far as how, how the player feels about the team going f- from here. So if they come to you and offer you a really fair multi-year deal, you're obviously going to say that's fantastic. But how key is this? Is, are these talks just from a standpoint of if they want to hold on to the player for the long term to set up things going forward? I think they're important. You're saying as far as Adam is concerned, yeah, or just or just in a situation where where the player d- doesn't have you know a great situation yet to go in and demand something, but how much different does the player then feel if he's treated fairly as opposed to here's what we're going to offer and that's it, and how that may affect the relationship in six months or nine months and when just he, going when he forward. Could be, yeah, I think it Next affects. It, I think it affects might. it a lot because. Um, you know, every player independent of the money wants to feel appreciated and wanted. So I think, you know, we can disagree on Adam's value, but if if the if the and I don't I don't think this is going to happen. But hypothetically, if the Vikings just made absolutely no effort to even discuss a long term extension, that would rub me the wrong way. That would rub Adam the wrong way. You know, that just shows um, that they all the things that they said um, didn't really account to what they actually did, and that. Your actions are going to speak more than your words. So, and in this business, the only way they can tell you how much they love you and tell you how great you are and appreciate everything you're doing, but if they don't offer you any sort of increased compensation for what you've done, then that speaks a lot louder than what everyone can tell them behind closed doors or after a game or in a press conference. So, and that doesn't mean we're we're going to agree on something. You know, I I could think he's worth one thing and they could think he's worth another. And that doesn't mean I don't respect their point of view. And that doesn't mean the relationship is soured. We can just disagree. But if we never even got to the point of disagreeing, then I think that would be an issue. It would for me anyway. Do you expect other teams to make phone calls about offer sheets? Uh, it was really interesting last year to me what happened with Chris Hogan and the Patriots, that they knew the Bills cap situation. They loaded up the guaranteed money. So it would be very difficult uh, with his first year cap hit for the Bills to keep him. I don't think the Bills put the highest tender on him. And then it came together and they basically stole away a very good wide receiver. And he had a great year for the Patriots. So I I think that if you're a Vikings fan, you're a little nervous about that uh, with the possibility of Adam. So I guess how possible is that? Yeah, I absolutely would think that would happen. I would be shocked if it didn't happen. I think the, you know, the cat is kind of out of the bag. I mean, he's, He's had such a good year, and it, 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 none of it was a fluke. You know, if you actually, when I asked, you know, talk to evaluators and they, they're breaking down film on him, they legitimately understand how fast he is. They legitimately understand how good of routes he has. You know, his coming out party was kind of at Denver a year ago when guys were hurt and him and Stefan started. He was up there just torching Akeem Tlaib. He was torching Chris Harris. I mean, these are two Pro Bowl corners, and everyone's looking down at their sheet like, who's 19 on the Vikings? You know, and then he just all he did was, you know, back that up again this year. And every team that played the Vikings this year knew they were trying to go to Adam Thielen. So, um, you know, you can only you can only quote unquote like kind of hide a guy for so long. Yeah, you know, the so the teams that think he's a legitimate starter for them, yeah, yeah, I think that's a real possibility. Why do you think he was? "Quote unquote hidden as long as he was. I mean, he's a six three guy that runs a sub four five forty. I mean, the, the, a lot of the the typical measurables are there. Why why did it take so long? Do you think? Um, people that notice it or whatever it was. It's a good question. 
I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Maybe he continued to get better. Maybe he wasn't yeah. always that good. Maybe they didn't think he was strong enough. Maybe they didn't think he'd get off. You know, getting you know held by defensive backs enough. Um, you know, guys like coaches came in that inherited him. It wasn't like you know he was their guy. Sure. You know, and when you draft the guys in the first round, that's their guy. Yeah, that's so, it, right? It's the fixation on Division guys. One guys that they see. And they Some draft, it. and it it is remarkable uh, the pride factor in this league of we drafted this guy, we've got to give him a chance, right? I mean, you look at well, you look at the team here. I mean, that happens with quite a few guys, and so. But if if NFL executives, uh, Blake, if they would ever check their egos on, on a consistent basis, I think the league would be would be better off ultimately because you would have guys get chances. I think quicker. They might not, and it might not be consistent, and it might not be perfect, right? But you do have a lot of guys. You have a lot of draft picks that they keep running out there week after week and year after year. And the sole purpose they do it is because they don't want to have been wrong. I uh, yeah, I agree. And they're they're in a tough predicament because when they draft a guy, when they draft a guy that high, um, someone at some point stood on the table and said, "This is our guy for whatever reason." Right. And if that doesn't pan out, someone's going to have to take the blame for that. At some point, that's and that's another reason why it's so important that head coach and GM are are tied at the hip, and they're they have the same goals and they like the same type of players. Otherwise, when it starts to go sour, it's going to be a blame game. Yeah, this was their fault. This was their fault. This was their fault. And that's when you see staffs and people get fired. <laughs> Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman or whoever it was. Like once that happens, it's it's tough to Rick and Brad maybe potentially back in the day. Yep. Yeah. Trent Baalke and Jim Harbaugh. Yep. There's lots yeah. of examples of it. Right. Well, Blake, thanks so much for the time. We uh, we always appreciate the the candor and the insight. And uh, on this front, obviously with Adam Thielen, but with a pretty exciting draft class. I mean, with with Jonathan Allen coming in, this has got to be a pretty exciting time for you, I would imagine, having a guy like that that could be top five, top ten pick. Yeah, it is. You know, we have a – Jonathan's great. We have a really good draft class, yeah. not just in terms of, of where they'll get drafted, but just really – Really solid guys, guys that I would bet on that'll that'll be contributing to the NFL for a long time. And they're some of the best guys you'll just like the Kurt Coleman's, the Adam Thielen's, yeah. the Adrian Claiborne's, th- those types of personalities. So it's it's exciting. I mean, we're I'm happy with it. It's a it's a really good group. Yeah, and like you're saying, it's a lot of times it's those types of guys that that last longer than than guys that may uh, you know be out of the league in three four years Absolutely. for different reasons. Absolutely. How'd you find a half an hour for us when you have Jonathan Allen? <laughs> Whatever you guys call, I'm available. Oh, right. The real quick question is this. It is the Top Vikings podcast. Exactly. How did, how did Zim <laughs> cut Kirk Coleman? How on earth did they not keep? I mean, this guy's supposed to be, an, and he's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. I respect his defensive acumen. How do you cut Kirk Coleman? He was sitting there he, on a, waiting to have a big season. He did admit to me at the Senior Bowl. He's that a great was one kid, of the, by one of the mistakes the he made. Nicest guy I've ever met. Um, great kid. You'd have to ask them how they cut him. But he told you that that, that was... He said that was one of his mistakes. Yeah. He said he should have never let him out of the building. And in in, in some fairness, I, I think that was Zim's first year, was it? Yes. It was Zim's first yes. year. He's... I'll always give first-year head coaches a little bit of benefit of the doubt because they're trying to juggle so many different things, and they're trying to find good players they are trying to see who's got upside they're trying to find who's familiar with their system so they can plug and play right away they had open auditions for that safety spot that year i mean it was like six or seven guys they had and then it comes back to i mean they had a draft pick that year i think exum who 
you know, no disrespect to him, but Kurt was always going to be a hundred times better player than Antoine Exum. And you make the decision to keep a draft pick because you just drafted him and you just stood on the table and said, we got to draft this kid. Goes back so, to that conversation, yeah. Yeah. Right. So he'd probably still be starting here if they didn't cut him. But. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that spot remains a need uh, of some type to this day. So, uh, it worked out for everyone. The Vikings were good. Yep. Kurt went to a good situation. Played in the Super so. Bowl. It worked out. It worked out. <laughs> it well, worked out. Well, we'll, uh, we'll let, let you get back to work across town with the draft class here, but we appreciate the time Perfect. and uh, appreciate the insight, and, and best of luck with everything with the draft class and, and with uh, with Adam in the next couple of weeks here. Thank you. Appreciate it. For, thanks for having me. Thank Anytime. You. Hey, guys. It's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. So guys, shifting gears, obviously the Vikings make some news late last week, releasing Brandon Fusco and Mike Harris. Uh, Mike Harris, certainly a guy that uh, through some uh, somewhat cryptic medical circumstances, I guess, uh, probably, I mean, certainly didn't play last year. It seemed like his chances of playing again are, are uh, probably a toss-up at best. But Brandon Fusco, to me, was the more interesting move because kind of, Judd, what you and I were talking about on the air a little earlier today, that's a guy to me in the past that they would have said he had an off year, but it was because of this and that, and we think he's going to be better if we get a more solid group of players around him, we'll have a better right tackle, Right, put Joe Berger in one spot, and everything will be great. The fact that they did not do that, to me, tells us that things might be a little bit different, and I think it means that they're willing to consider all their options to try to fix this offensive line. Well, and now you're, you're going to have to go left tackle, right tackle, right guard. And my and my guess, though, is this is all a nod also to freeing up as much cap space as possible because those tackles, and especially the, the left tackle, are going to cost a ton. Now, what this freeing up the salary cap space boys might do, though, is this. I wonder if, if this is an indication that somebody has come back and said, all right, Khalil might be a last resort guy to sign, but we're going bigger than that. And I wonder now if the investment in that left tackle is going uh, to be huge. The other thing that this does, too, is it brings an end to the Rick Spielman draft class of late round offensive linemen, right? If you start, if you say that Rick, so I got Willie Beavers. If you, yeah, if you say that Rick took over the offensive lo- or, really late round but. Or, or the drafting uh, in 2011, which is the first year that it was supposedly Frazier and Rick, but I think Rick ran that draft. Look at the amount of uh, fourth round on draft picks which are invested in in guys uh, on the line, and look at the amount of those guys who never played significant roles, didn't play at all, and I think Fusco was the last one. Six-round pick, right? Fusco, yes. Fusco was the last one who they could point at and say, okay, there's our success story. So uh, this brings an end to, I think, the Vikings saying, 
you know what? When it comes to the line, let's get by on the cheap. The reality is, going forward, if you're going to take linemen and you're going to get good ones, you're going to have to make first three-round investments, and you can't just say TJ Clemmings and Beavers will be fine because they're not. So their offensive linemen drafted since 2011. Uh, 2011, DeMarcus Love in the sixth round. Didn't really do much of anything. Nope. Um, Brandon Fusco uh, later in the sixth round, four picks later. Uh, they picked three guys within five picks in that round. Mistral Raymond, uh, dearly departed safety, was also in that draft. Uh, so then we move on to 2012. Matt Khalil, of course, the fourth overall pick. Uh, obviously not a late-round pick, but uh, that's the only guy that they've not taken in a late round since Phil Lodeholt. Correct. Uh, 2013, Jeff Baca in the sixth round. He's been gone for a while. Travis Bond in the seventh round, gone uh, 2014, David Yankee, I think a guy that people thought had a pretty high upside, but... Wasn't that a rapper? Uh, Should have been. I think that's Daddy Yankee. Oh. Uh, no, David Yankee was a guy from Stanford that I think people were, were kind of excited about. Yeah, kind and of. And it did not work out. And in fact, one of the things they talked about is how we needed to get stronger, which for a guy that was like 310 pounds and playing in a power run system at Stanford is probably not a great sign. Um uh, then we move on to 2015, and that was T.J. Clemmings in the fourth round. Uh, Tyrus Thompson in the sixth round, who got cut that year after an awful training camp uh, to the point where it was pretty obvious he was not going to make the team. Austin Shepard in the seventh round. Uh, I believe he's still in the practice he is. squad. Yeah. He's seen a little bit of time. Maybe there's still something there. But uh, and Then Willie Beavers in the fourth round last year. So... Uh, not exactly a motley crew of Vikings offensive linemen draft picks in recent years, and uh, probably a big part of the reason they are going to have to put some more significant resources into fixing that position in the near future. And if we want to go back to 2010, we, of course, have tr- uh, Chris DeGear in the fifth oh, round as Chris well. In case that does anything for anybody. That's that's the, the lineman since Phil Lodeholt in the second round. With uh, releasing Fusco, I think a big part of it has to be the list of free agent guards that are out there. I mean, it's a pretty good list. Especially at the top. TJ Lang told XM Radio that he hasn't heard anything from the Packers, which means he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. I don't. I wouldn't say maybe. that. The Packers have a t- tendency to, to kind of come in late on some of those things. But May- possibly. Maybe, maybe. But if he does hit the market... That's a big-name guard right there. Kevin Zeitler, there's reports out that Cincinnati <laughs> wants to put their assets into Andrew Whitworth and yeah. bringing him back. So there's two big names of as much of a star as you can be, star guards that are out there. And then there are a number of other guys who are at least capable at the position that would provide you with much better play than what Brandon Fusco did last year. I think part of the concern, though, <laughs> with letting Fusco go is if you sign one of those guys – you are spending a lot of money on guards when mm-hmm. not everybody around the league does that. Already, Alex Boone is one of the top paid guards in the NFL, and he was okay. Uh, yeah. I think good good in pass protection. Uh, I wanted more in the run game from him than he gave. But you know, if you end up spending eight, nine, ten million dollars a year on another guard. That's uh, putting you in a little bit of a tough position going forward in the cap if you give a five-year deal or something like that, potentially when you have big players like Xavier Rhodes that are going to come up and maybe another contract for a quarterback, too. All these things will have to be considerations they go forward unless they have some other guard that they have in mind it's or someone be tackle, in the draft though, or something right? like that. I mean, you've got to spend there, right? Tackles? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Like, I can find... 
I think if if I'm an executive, I think I can find a right guard who will be who won't be a disaster, but be good. But I've got to think uh, with Bradford as your quarterback going into next year, you've got to have the expenditures go to tackle, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the other option here is that you make Joe Berger your right guard and you play Nick Easton at center, hoping there's no do that. Uh, Sorry, that was a cheap you, shot. You could do a, your due process that was a cheap shot. on Nick Easton, referring Nick to his nice fumble kid, against Green Bay. smarter than any of us. Way smarter. But, uh, I mean, you could go that way, too. And, and that would solve one of those problems relatively cheaply. But Or draft a center. I mean, yeah. it seems to me that yeah. uh, you'll probably get the best center in the draft if you were taking one as a starter in the second round. Well, there's that kid from uh, the Forest Lamp kid, too. I think that he'd be a guard, but he is certainly a guy that I think they would probably look at in the second round if he's still on the board. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a center from LSU that's like 6'6 six, six or 6'7. Six, mm-hmm. I'm just uh, saying I got I got to think that if you're going to clear cap room and spend big, you start at left tackle, go right tackle, yeah. and then right guard if if you want. Because color's right. I mean, <laughs> if you look at, at, the, at the Boone contract right now, I can't imagine that you're going to spend huge on both your guards and say that, that, that you could fill in the tackles because – those tackles, man, it, that was a complete – I mean, if you want to start with, in my opinion, the disaster of the 2016 Vikings offensive line, it starts at those tackles. Yeah, it does. And both of them were bad. I mean, it was never good. Especially when you're protecting a quarterback who's had two ACL surgeries already right. and whom you cannot afford to have get hurt. I, I wrote about it a little bit this week. They're going to have to go get a backup quarterback too mm-hmm. because you can't count on Teddy Bridgewater being ready. You're going to have Teddy Bridgewater – on your roster and taking up cap space because you want to see how things play out there, but you have to go get another quarterback. So they have, I looked this up, they have $20.8 million committed to quarterbacks next year. The Green Bay Packers have $21.5 million. You don't always get what you pay for in the NFL. The the Seattle Seahawks and Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, are two of the teams that are paying their quarterbacks less overall next year than the Vikings are. And I think the Giants might be in that group as well. And the Saints are, are close to the same. But, you know, when we talk about the guys that are commanding most of those dollars, they're quarterbacks that uh, have one or multiple Super Bowl championships to their name. With that backup quarterback conversation, would you prefer to have somebody who showed a little bit of potential but also might be a gigantic disaster. I'm thinking of Geno. I love gigantic disasters. Yeah, I'm thinking of Geno Smith, or <laughs> or maybe even Mike Glennon to that end too. The two guys who were drafted in the same draft and neither really worked out for a very brief second. Their teams thought they could be the franchise quarterback, <laughs> and then it kind of went downhill. Or would you rather have someone like Mark Sanchez, who you know exactly what you're going to get with Mark Sanchez? That. He's basically he's a like a ball boy your, now for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, but he's like if you have to play him for four games, he might win two of them or something like that. Two of them will be the worst thing you've ever seen. Two of them will be halfway decent, and you hope you get good defense and running or something like that, right? So it's either it's either the veteran who's been around who you know exactly, like a McCown, whichever one, it doesn't matter. You know what you're going to get with those guys, or someone that might surprise you, or might show a little bit more potential, or might grow as a potential quarterback with Sam Bradford going into the last year of a contract? I mean, to me, you go get the guy that can can win you a couple of games because you hope Taylor Heineke becomes the guy that can develop into something over the long haul. Now, you know, just thinking about this quarterback thing the other day, if, if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't get hurt, you have another year of him 
uh, under a cheap controllable contract. And if Taylor Heineke doesn't put his foot through a wall, you know, uh, in, in the in the pantheon of events that could have been prevented, if just darn the luck, um, maybe he turns into a guy that that supplants Sean Hill as a number two, and and he's a guy that has the earmarks of being your backup of the future, and you're in good shape. Instead, you have Sam Bradford, and, and you're not really sure what else for twenty something million dollars. So, I mean, to me, I guess the hope would be go get a solid backup and still hope that Heineke can develop into the, the guy of the future. The I backup mean, of the future. Yeah, the backup of the future. Now, is uh, Hill done for sure? Uh, maybe not. I mean, I was going to say, they, for all I know, they might bring him back. They could. For a year they certainly could. But we sat here at this time last year dissecting this exact point, Ben, and I think at that <laughs> time you spelled out and we all agreed what great shape this team was in at quarterback. Because it looked it looked like you had the Seahawks bl- blueprint, yep. right? I mean, the Seahawks blueprint was you've got Bridgewater who's developing. He's young, he's cheap. Heineke and Hills cheap, and the whole thing looked great. Heineke and, could run the offense that Bridgewater did. And, that whole and part we of it still too. have have not heard yet. And I, I don't I don't know if the Vikings will do this, but we still have not heard yet if uh, if Tom Condon has gone into Rick yet and said pony up on Bradford as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this whole thing has time to play out, and I'm very curious to see what the Vikings do there. If they try and put things off, which they might, or if they show up and say, this is your option, yeah. sir. Because we know enough about Bridgewater's health at this point to be very, very concerned, right? Yeah. Well, there's people that know a lot more than us about this. Yeah. And there is there is an off chance that they know that he very well might be done. Well, it certainly has not been something that, I mean, if things were going great, they probably would have been more willing to come out and tell us that things were going great. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. I, you know, I mean, it, we're still at a point where I think we're closer or maybe at the midpoint of when the injury happened and the start of training camp. Yep. So, that, I mean, you there's still a long way for things to play out. But if they – I have no doubt that if, if they felt like things were in really good shape that they would have said, hey, we're going to make Teddy available, we're going to make Eric Sugarman available – give you guys an update on how things are going. Everything is looking good. We're going to, you know, we're looking forward to seeing Teddy get back out here in the future. The fact that, that we have not heard one word from Bridgewater other than a statement or, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to talk today. Maybe I'll talk after the season. Doesn't engender a ton of confidence there, I don't think. Certainly doesn't. uh, But I think, if anything, on their end, they must be in a tough spot because if he does bounce back, would you, or at least enough to It's a to weird where, dynamic. Yeah, at least enough to play, but then <coughs> Sam Bradford plays even a little bit better than he did this year, or just as good. Which you certainly are, are expecting is going to happen, right? <laughs> Sam Bradford super fan that you are? Uh, yeah. No, I expect that Sam Bradford will be the same Sam Bradford he was this year. Okay. I expect that sometimes we will say, what a throw! And then other times we'll Hopefully go. Not in that voice, though. What? Oh no, that's the voice I make in the press box nah. during the games. Uh, that's why I have those. Big you head, heard that's why I have yeah. those big headphones on. Yeah. He and Wetmore are talking the whole time, and then they say stuff like that. Yeah, it's usually when you and I are trying to watch the game and chart what's going on, and yeah. him and Wetmore yeah. are talking about well, something that Derek's has nothing talking about to the do Twins at that time. Yeah. So. Uh, look, Jason Castro is really good at framing pitch framing. So, and and I also like to talk about Corsi ratings in hockey. No. So, uh anyway, it puts them in an odd situation if Sam Bradford is who he is, which would be my expectation that there will be times where we say what a throw and there will be times where we say what happened today where he had a 90% <laughs> completion percentage, threw for 62 <laughs> yards 
And uh, no interceptions, though, so he had a fine quarterback rating. There will be plenty of both of that. And if Teddy is sort of recovered, but you're not really sure by the end of this year, I mean, where do you stand with Bradford? And, because you have a quarterback who can get you so far, yes. but maybe not all the way, and that's but you're wh- going to be relevant with him. And that's why if you're Tom Condon, I think uh, if you haven't done it already, you call a brick very soon and, and make all those points and say, do you want a quarterback? Because your guy's hurt, your guy might never play again, and my guy needs a contract. Yeah, now I'm not saying that down before he has all the facts, probably. And in I'm some ways. and I'm not saying that the Vikings will will cave on that, but it's worth the pressure, right? If you're Condon, the smart play <laughs> right now is to try and make the Vikings feel like, oh my god, oh my god, oh, let's just do it now. And so that that's where it's a very smart move to make that phone call and say, lock him do up now. while you can. So. I don't know. The, uh, uh, the host of the failing Celebrity Apprentice. Oh, that's uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why didn't they just get rid of that show? I don't know. Sad. I, so we can sit here and talk about it as members of the failing media. Um, speaking of, you are fired. Failing or people that used to be in higher positions than they currently are. Uh, Blair Walsh uh, <laughs> is back in the NFL, having signed with. The Seattle Seahawks of all teams, and, and certainly uh, by the time you're hearing this podcast, that's been out there for a little bit. But we haven't had a chance to opine on it yet, so we're going to do that for just a minute. Uh, Judd, I, I want to hear what you think of this. Blair Walsh going to the Seahawks, the team that benefited from his infamous miss in the NFC playoffs a year ago. Yep. Uh, Sports Grinch, go. Oh, I said this uh, the day after he signed on the show. Yeah, I wasn't listening. What I said th- Thank you very much. I mean, neither was anyone else. Yeah, I was going to say you and a lot of people weren't, but I'm sure my mom was. Okay, I want to hear now though. What I said was this: uh, NFC title game, 2017 <laughs> season, uh, Packers Seahawks at Lambeau Field. Uh, Blair Walsh, who will have had a magnificent bounce back here. Good for Blair. We're, we're all very pleased. Blair Walsh will line up for a 26-yard field goal or 23-yard. And uh, Blair Walsh will miss said field goal and will send Green, the Green Bay Packers to the Super Bowl to be played at U.S. Bank Stadium because, damn it, if it doesn't screw Vikings fans, <laughs> what fun is it? That's what will happen. Blair so- Walsh will send the Green Bay Packers unwittingly, <laughs> to the Super Bowl in Minneapolis because his perfect season will end with a mess in Lambeau. And Green Bay Packers running back Adrian Peterson returns to Minneapolis <laughs> to play in Super Bowl 52. If, if, we, if we want to take this possible? thing to another level. Do you think it's possible? Could I play in the Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah, I would think, though. Adrian but Peterson, yes. Wouldn't Peterson perfect. have to have a key fumble in that game? Well, maybe no. That, maybe that in sets the Super up Bowl. a miss. In the Super Bowl. Oh, the Super Bowl. Oh, he's waiting. Yeah, so I mean, waiting if, you're, if you're going back to the, the wild card game, yes, Peterson did have a key fumble in that game. Right, right. But, but the Packers will go to the Super Bowl, which will be played here, and Peterson in the fourth quarter of that game against the Patriots will have a key fumble. How about <laughs> the that? The Patriots match? will be down 35 to nothing and still come back and win with five touchdowns and a field goal in the last six minutes or something like that because that's just what they do. That's my scenario. If you're Blair Walsh and you're a complete head case – this seems like an odd decision, does it? A little not? bit. A little bit. <laughs> I don't think there were many job offers. Although, I'll say this, that I uh, we have a sports psychologist that we know that we talk to every once in a while. I mean, just Is it Sindra Kampoff? Uh, no, Justin Anderson's the guy's okay. name. We, I, we did a podcast with him. I, Phil had him on the air, maybe, okay. or a podcast with him anyway. Sindra Kampoff, I've talked to her before. She's a sports psychologist that works down at, at Minnesota State Mankato, so... 
thought that might have been the connection. But yeah, um, now we know the names of two sports psychologists. Y- you do. So if anyone needs a sports psychologist, anyway, there you, go. you have I options. Asked him what he that, thought. We go to that level in this podcast. He yes, mentioned that people who are afraid of spiders, that it, one of the things that they tell them, psychologist, is that there's nothing to be worried about. The spider is just over there. It's not going to hurt you. It's no big deal. So maybe it's Blair facing his fears, being in the room with the spider. Will fix his Going ability in, in the Bat Cave and letting yeah. all the bats come out, like in Batman Begins, which is the most underrated movie of that trilogy. Great trilogy. Batman Begins is a great movie. That scene where he comes Who's out. Batman and, in that one. Ah, uh, Christian Bale. Okay. It's the first of the the Dark Knight trilogy where oh, he's standing okay. in the Bat Cave and he's confronting his fears and using his fear as a weapon to uh, confront his enemies by taking hold of his fear of bats and then using the bat as a signal to. Save Gotham City. So, so maybe that's what Blair Walsh. So that's do. exactly maybe what Blair, Blair Walsh, Walsh the must have watched before he signed with hey, Seattle. <clears throat> what are Blair Walsh's initials? BW. What are Bruce Wayne's initials? BW. Mic drop. <laughs> um, you know the thing with uh, a lot of these kickers who have had key misses. A lot of them don't bounce back. Yeah. I mean, Nate Kading really never came back. Yeah. And I think, uh, was it Mike Vanderjet missed one? Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson. I, he missed a... Mike Vanderjet. I think it... Scott Norwood. I think it took a couple years. Scott Norwood was gone, I think, two years later. Man, between the three of us in this room, we've seen just about... Or, Covered teams that have suffered from just about every infamous missed field yeah. goal in NFL history. And Longwell didn't get a chance to miss against the Saints. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Could have won the 2009 NFC title game if they'd given him the chance. Could he have made it from 56 after 12 men in the huddle? Maybe. Maybe. I told you a story. He he and the special teams coach, uh, the next training camp, would purposely go to 56 yards in front of Childers and make field goal after field goal after field goal because they were convinced that they could have made it inside that dome. (laughs) That guy never missed a close kick in his career. I think he would have made it. But uh, the, the thing with Walsh, to me, I mean, the last we saw really of him was, well, I, I guess we talked to him a little bit after the, the Lions game during the week, but the last time I remember talking to him was when he snapped at everybody for asking him, you know, that we kept asking him about the misses against the Lions. If you are a guy that is bothered by questions about your previous misses and you go and sign with that team... But he had no other offers, I'm sure. That probably is the case. I mean, there's... But... You One place comes to you. had better be sure of what you're getting into when you go out there because the first thing he is going to get asked about the first time he talks to reporters in Seattle is about that kick and is he over it, how did it affect his life. He's going to have to be able to talk about that because that's going to be the first thing that comes up. He didn't like talking to anybody about anything this year. Drama starts with you guys a little but, bit at that. Uh, that's right. It, and. All those kids tried to do was was send him nice cards, and, and you a holes, you a holes, just kept pestering him. I don't ever blame a. But now we turned him into Batman, so. I don't ever. Yeah, incredible, and uh, he could save the world. Now we've got a few things that we might need saving from, but I don't ever blame an athlete who has messed up for getting mad at us. Right, it was like, well, you're mad. But it also kind of pointed into a window with him. Yeah, it was more instructive than anything else. Yeah, just it sort of said, like, man, this is just bouncing around your brain, yeah. scrambling your mind into oblivion right now. And it is messing with you so yeah. deeply 
the, the way that you're reacting to the simplest questions about missing these field goals and stuff. And it was not just that he did it in the regular season too. It was in the preseason that he was shanking kicks and was like, I mean, this, this just isn't going to work. So uh, good luck to the little guy. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you knew it was done in week one against the Titans when he missed that long attempt. It wasn't the fact he missed it. It's the fact that it went to like Memphis. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That ball. Yeah. When I saw that kick, I'm like, oh, OK, if you had missed it fair and square, that's fine. Because it was a long 50 plus yard field, yeah. goal, I think. But that son of a bitch going to Memphis. <laughs> that was unbelievable. And it was windy, but, that but day. keep but keep in mind too the story of Blair Walsh was Blair Walsh now three years ago melted down, yeah, and completely melted down. And I said because I remember saying before 2015 he's going to cost him a game, which I think he did in Denver eventually, yeah. But yeah, but he also came back pr- pretty well to his credit. That was the year he had the terrible preseason, yes, in 15. But, but my, he was bad in 14 too. He but my point is, yes, yes. Year. So 14 he was bad. End of the year he had a bad stretch, yeah. And I said this is a problem. 15, he came back and actually wasn't great, but wasn't awful. But the problem is, I think once he missed, and I think once he missed against Seattle, Mm -hmm. it was over. And you're right, though. See, this is so Vikings, too. They paid him because they were convinced, well, this will take care of the problem. He'll feel more secure. They never, I mean, think about this. They never brought competition to training camp for him. Yeah. What's your excuse for that? Well, we don't want him to get uncomfortable. Right. No, he's a kicker. You want him to be uncomfortable. The whole, the whole, unless the kicker's been going for 15 years, I want him to be uncomfortable because I want to put pressure on him. There are a lot of times, and I, I think they're certainly not the only franchise that does this. You could probably see other franchises that do it, but there are certainly a lot of times where you see teams do something and it's like, oh, we're, we're just counting on everything's going to go great. You know, We're expecting that this is going to work, this is going to work, this is going to work, and everything's going to be really good. And you're kind of like, yeah, but what if it doesn't? what's the plan then? Like, oh, we're not worried about that. We don't want to, you know, you guys are being negative. We don't want to think about that. It's like, well, you you probably should. Like, what if Matt Khalil gets hurt? You know, you guys don't understand tackle the game. And, yeah. That's the key thing. Well, the, um, last thing on the Blair Walsh thing, he did Joker-like destruction, though, to this franchise. How about one player doing so much damage because he can't make kicks, not just in the playoffs, but this team probably also makes the playoffs if he makes a kick or two. Well, <laughs> the, li- the Lions that? do not make the playoffs yeah. if Walsh makes that extra point right. against them. And I mean, the Vikings the, the Vi- would have had, had things go right. I, they I had, didn't go back to do the math. They wouldn't have won they, the tiebreaker, but the Lions wouldn't. unequivocally would not have made the playoffs because, yes, I did go back and check. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. So it, it, the, the, that, in the very least, would have sent Detroit home. I, the, the last thing on the Walsh front, and then we'll uh, let this topic uh fall to the depths where it, it probably belongs in, in the long run. But uh, I, I remember having lunch with somebody last summer who had played golf with Walsh. And Walsh, I think, has typically been a pretty good golfer. So it was like Walsh and I, I want to say like Terrence Newman and somebody else. And he said Walsh was like he had the yips, <laughs> couldn't make a putt. And this was June, I think. And he's like, I'm convinced he's going to have a terrible year. <laughs> And it's, I remember thinking that, and I, I've talked to this person uh, a number of times since then, and it's like I've never forgotten what you said, and you were right on. But uh, you know, maybe, maybe in a in a change of scenery, he'll uh, the dark night will rise again. Yeah, yeah, could be. Uh, one quick thing, you bring up Terrence Newman. Yeah, the nickel corner situation. Um, 
I'm I'm very interested to see how this plays out yeah. with it. I, I think that it's something that we've been so focused on tackles and just the offense and how they're going to improve it that we sort of kind of overlooked that a little bit. You mentioned that you feel like there's a possibility or you talked to someone that yeah. said there's a possibility Captain Munderland comes back. I think that if he doesn't, it would be wise to find somebody to invest some good a good amount of cap space there because I'm not trusting what I hear about Mackenzie Alexander yeah. and his future there. And also, I noticed this stat. I don't. Do you guys follow Tony Khan on Twitter? Who I know the name. I, the Jaguars. I think he's the owner's. I saw you yeah, tweeted son of Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he had tweeted something about uh, nickel packages, nickel and dime packages set the record for the sixth straight year of how often nickel and dime corners were used. Mm-hmm. I think the value there is going up. Bill Belichick yeah. mentioned they use him in 80% of the sets. And to me, it's become more and more worth investing in that position as opposed to it just sort of being like, ah, we'll just find a guy to yeah. do. Yeah, I would agree. And I, yeah, I did talk to a couple of people that thought the Vikings were going to be more willing to invest in that position because you don't know what you have with Mackenzie Alexander yet, whether he's going to be able to make it or not, whether he's going to be the guy. And Michael Rossi and our Lions reporter, uh, I think, reported yesterday that uh, Kawan Williams from the, the Cleveland Browns, he's talking to the Lions, talking to the Jets. Uh, but if he gets past those teams, the Vikings have shown some interest in bringing him in. So that would be a guy that would give them another option at the slot corner position. I, I think there is a chance that Munderland is back here because I do think that they are getting to a point where they realize they have to do something at that position, and you can't just go in with Mackenzie Alexander next year. We've seen this movie before when they let Antoine Winfield Josh go Robinson, and try and Josh Robinson. It was a you, disaster. You cannot take the, – the thing about that position is it is – It's it, a hard position. It's its own position. The biggest mistake that you still see teams make at times is to say, well, he plays corner, so he, he can play yeah, the slot. Yeah, I know how it works. You can't. It's a at at its played at its best in my opinion. It's a hybrid corner linebacker spot. That's what Winfield did. It's not a corner spot. And so if you just say to yourself, "Well, this guy will be fine," you know, it drives Zimmer crazy when his cornerbacks grab and hold. Well, that position invites you to do that. Mm -hmm. And so if you put a natural outside cornerback inside and he grabs and, and holds. Unless you've given that guy a heck of a chance to play that spot in games inside, that's your fault. Because that is, you are inviting that to happen because there's so much junk that happens inside there that your inclination, if you are new to that spot, is going to be to grab the receiver and hold on for dear life and you're going to get a flag. And then if Zim comes back and says, that's not acceptable, well, guess what, Mike? That's your fault, not the kid's fault. Interestingly enough, Captain did not get called for a pass interference last year. Yeah, I mean, to me... And he's good at it. He's good at that yeah. spot. Yeah. I mean, well, I think you guys had him on a couple of years ago during training camp, and he was talking about the science of being able to play physical with Inside receivers. of the hip yeah. and the belt. You Closed hand, not an open hand, yep. and all that kind of stuff. There's I mean, all hole. little subtleties to it. But that's a tough That's a tough spot because there, there's a lot that goes on there, and that's not a spot where guys run goal routes, for right. instance. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, the Vikings have proven before – in previous regimes, they have the ability to screw that position up because if you just assume, well, this kid can play, he's an athlete, Yeah, that's on you, not the kid. Well, and in that 2013 season, I mean, the quarterback problem was problem number one, sure. but the slot corner problem was probably 1A. I mean, to the point where <clears throat> they tried to get Winfield to come back in the middle of that year. They, I mean, they tried to sign him before they went to London, and then they ended up turning around and giving that money to Josh Freeman. But the, the, the coaching staff, I mean, Leslie Frazier's – well. No, yeah. 
Uh, Leslie Frazier certainly knew that season how badly he needed an upgrade or at least a return to what he used to have at that position. And the fact that it it was as bad as it was and it wasn't addressed was part of the reason that defense gave up 480 points and part of the reason he lost his job. I, I would expect that Mike Zimmer is going to know well enough that you need somebody there and he's going to fight for that, uh, especially if the alternative is having a guy who hasn't done it in, McKin- in McKenzie Alexander. I expect that'll be a position that they do try to address to give themselves some cover. I would like to see Mike Zimmer use less base package. Though. Yeah, 38% of snaps last year for Chad Greenway. A handful are when, you know, I think Kendricks was out for yeah. a half a game or whatever. So let's say it's 35% or somewhere in there. That's a lot compared yeah. to the league standard. And Munderland has had years where he hasn't been bad as a run defender. Yeah, I mean, I saw a stat on Football Outsiders that he only had – one or two of his tackles broken this year. Now, that's mostly tackling slot receivers, yeah. not running backs. But I think when it comes to tackling, he, he's pretty good in that mold. And really, I think the Indianapolis Colts showed us that they should have trusted him a little bit more yeah. when it came to, yeah, I know Frank Gore ran pretty well in that game, but it was really those tight ends that yeah. shredded them. And I think that's going to be Kept something that, that teams do. The other thing is they should probably be looking at another linebacker who is more focused on coverage to fill Greenway's spot if Chad Greenway does retire. I'm assuming that's going to be the case. Yeah. Instead of a guy to just stuff runs, because I think other teams are taking advantage of that now because they have more athletic tight ends, if you're going to fill that third spot, it should be somebody who can cover. Yeah. Yeah, it it certainly is. Uh, things are shifting in that direction, and uh, it's it's certainly something that you need to deal with. Is what do you the got, guy that, that they got from the Bengals, Lamore? Vi- yeah, is is he a viable player or is he just a guy? You know, I we didn't see a lot of him last year. I thought we would see more. Well, yeah, honestly, he came, given the money they gave him. He arrived here with a lot of press clippings. Yeah. I thought, and a lot written about how he knew the system. Blah well, blah and Zimmer blah. Zimmer thought he'd be better on the weak side. I think he thought they misused him in Cincinnati a little bit. Yeah, there was the whole thing about that. And then we saw him, what he got hurt against Philadelphia. I think he collided with Kendricks or something like that. But anyway, he only played a little bit. We just didn't see him much, and I can't tell if he's a viable player if Greenway retires. Or when if he did play, it wasn't good though. No, I mean, it wasn't. It was, uh, I mean, a little bit against Detroit, a little bit against Washington, yeah. and it was bad. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that spot is certainly still. An open question, but yeah, it is probably one that needs to be addressed, and and there's uh, a few little sneaky spots as the Vikings go here, and we will uh, get into those in the next few weeks as we get closer to free agency. We covered a lot of ground today. We kind of covered the waterfront. Our our thanks again to Blake Barrett from the Institute for Athletes for joining us today to talk about Adam Thielen, to talk about uh, his thoughts on the draft process. He's always an engaging guy to have on, always very candid, and we certainly appreciate his time. We'll be back with uh, the three of us again next week. For Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad, I'm Ben Gessling. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.